I had a neighbor come over the other day and he was stoked. He was just so excited that somebody is doing something and then this is, you know, we're like kind of breathing life into this property. We built this huge garden and um, that's just teeming with vegetables and, and everybody that comes by has been super supportive and nice and they're like, go, you do it. You guys are doing, you're working your butts off and, and we appreciate you having, having you here. So it's been a pretty awesome response to so far. I'm Tony. And I'm Will. Welcome to another episode of Topophilia. Today we're bringing you another installment of our Wild Work series, which highlights individuals who, motivated by their connections to place, are devoting time and resources to creating something amazing. This time we're talking with Taylor Sanders. Taylor practices regenerative agriculture on a small farm on the front range of the Colorado mountains. A former vegan intent on changing the way our food is raised, Taylor's path took a radical turn when she took a butchery apprenticeship in Italy and returned with a new view on the role of livestock in our food system. When the call came to take over a small plot of land in Lyons, Colorado, she and her partner Ryan knew they couldn't pass it up. What follows are stories of global change at a local level, building trust and connection in a new community, and how being open to new opportunities can lead you in unexpected directions. All right, okay. cool. So I'll probably do that now. Here it goes. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, Taylor, it's really nice to get you on the phone this morning. Um, how are things over there in Colorado? Um, they're good. They're kind of slowing down. We've got we still got one more little heat wave, and then um, kind of settling into fall. So um, on the farm, everything's going really well, and in our little town of Lyons, Colorado, here, kind of between Boulder and Estes, um, we're kind of gearing up for. The fall season, the changing of the colors, and getting pretty excited for that. Cool. Yeah, that is such a beautiful time of year in that part of the world. I have like, I always, I really cherish the moments that I've gotten to spend in the fall in Colorado. It's like really beautiful. Absolutely. There's something, I mean, there's something to enjoy. I'm from Arizona originally, and it's just kind of hot and hotter. And yeah. <laughs> I think moving here is uh, definitely, you can feel the changing of the seasons. And it's just, it's important, I think, especially for a farmer to feel that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so for all the folks who are listening, you know, we've been chatting a little bit and, uh, for all the folks who are listening, you're mentioning that, that you are a, a farmer and I, I yep. really love to hear about sort of like where you are right now. And so you said you're in Lyons. What, what are you doing there? Um, yeah, so we're in Lyons. If you ever, you know, head up to Rocky Mountain National Park, you probably pass through our little town. Um, we have a small little farm on this cute road called Apple Valley Road. Um, we have just about eight acres, and we raise primarily chickens. We have a handful of lambs and pigs, and then we also have um, maybe 25 laying hens and some ducks and a huge vegetable garden. So it's kind of like, um, we call it, it's the name of its long table farmstead. Um, and we chose farmstead because it isn't quite a big, huge farm, and it's not quite just a homestead for ourselves. We do sell a lot of our meat um, to neighbors and the greater community so well cool. that's a great name for it i like that sort of some hybrid yeah. in the middle there yeah um, and now so how long have you guys been in operation there at your current spot um it's funny because um we moved here maybe six months ago <laughs> i think what is it maybe five months ago um but the second we moved here gosh we moved in then a week later we bought all of our animals <laughs> so wow. wow it was like yeah, it was, I mean, we had been, so the story was is that we, last 
um, fall, we contacted the um, new landlord for this property, who was a friend of a friend. Um, and it's a pretty small town, so um, we had a connection there. And so we contacted him, and he just bought this beautiful property, and we said, hey, if you want some young farmers to farm on it and you don't want to <laughs> take care of it, pick weeds on it, mow it, you know, make everything look nice, then we're happy to caretake it and start a farm. And he was like, cool, I'm totally down. So um, we actually already planned to go to Chile. So we went to we went to Chile for the winter to work on some farms, um, planned the whole farm down to a T while we were in Chile. Wow. And then um, the second we came back, everything was all pretty much lined up. So then we just you know, loaded up all the animals and brought them to the farm. That seems like a fairly unconventional way to start a farm. I mean, I don't know very much about how to start a farm, but it seems like that's that's not what everyone does. Is that is that a fair assessment? Absolutely, yeah. I think, you know, in my mind, I was always, Ryan and I have always been, we've worked on farms for years, and I think Ryan um, is my partner, boyfriend and business partner, and um, runs a farm with me. So he, um, him and I, we've both been pretty, I guess, like, responsible and, and thoughtful about, um, our life path and about finances and everything. And, and then this all just threw a huge wrench in it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we thought maybe it would be five years, we'd get some savings and like we would buy property. But this, I mean, if you saw it, uh, you would be like, yeah, uh, let's do it. <laughs> right. Totally. That's really cool. I mean, sometimes, you know, you just get these right, these like 90 degree turns in your life, you know, you just kind of have to follow them. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So I think we should back up a little bit <laughs> because you're, so now you're, you guys are, like getting this thing off the ground over there in Lyons, you have, uh, you know, you've given this really cool opportunity to take advantage of it. How? So I want to hear a little bit more about like your journey to sort of that point. So tell me about, you know, how did you get in? Why did you know you wanted to be involved in food? How did you get into farming? Just like as far back as you feel like is relevant. Tell, can you try to tell that story? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, you know, farming for me wasn't really the trajectory I was going for a long time. I've been I was telling somebody this the other day a story when I, when I was when I was 12. I think I was in middle school. I remember I saw an inconvenient truth by Al Gore, and oh, yeah. then I got I got super involved in climate change. But I was 12 years old, and I was just convinced, you know. So I remember like printing out fact sheets for my uh, eighth grade English class, <laughs> <laughs> and like just getting so you know passionate about it and it never left i went into high school and and just like always cared about it you know as a part of every environmental club and then when i went to college i studied environmental science and then um sort of got you know i was vegetarian for all throughout high school and into college and um and you know i think i came at it from a climate change aspect i, I was you know every single class in environmental science you take at a university the first thing they talk about is oh, there's too many people and there's too many missions and, and cows and cars and it's all just, you know, really bleak. And mm -hmm. so, um, and I guess, um, you know, after all that time, I just avoided meat and I, I got really into, you know, plant science and I kind of switched gears and went into plant science and then, um, and then thought when I graduated. So when I was in college, I helped run um, U University of Arizona Compost Cats, which is they're wildcats, and so it's like a compost right. student, uh -huh. student composting organization. Um, super awesome. Um, I'm not sure if they're still going, but it was super cool when I was a part of it. I learned to drive a tractor, learned to make, you know, collect food waste from all over Tucson, Arizona, and it was it was a super life changing um, part of 
my career. Um, and so that was kind of all about carbon sequestration and taking food scraps and turning them into this awesome, you know, compost and you put in your garden. And then, you know, after college, I was like, what the heck is up with these people that, that raise animals and then believe that climate change is affecting us and it's human cause. And so moved to Boulder, Colorado and uh, started working on a farm called the Golden Hook and and started working with sheep, cattle, pigs, chickens, turkeys, geese, ducks. (laughs) And uh, they started teaching me about regenerative agriculture and um, Alan Savory and Joel Salatin are kind of like the two to read if you're, you know, listeners are interested um and and essentially using animals to try to put carbon back into the soil and so that just blew my mind you know the 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 idea that animals aren't necessarily causing climate change it's the management that's causing climate change so um so yeah and then after that um went to go be a butcher for a little while went to italy and um that's actually where i met ryan weirdly enough we lived um in we lived about 20 minutes away from each other in Colorado, but we met in Italy. Yeah, wait a minute now. So let me pause you there for a second, because that seems like a <laughs> yeah. large transition. So how, how did you end up, how did you find this place in Italy to learn? Well, first of all, why did you decide you wanted to be a butcher in particular? Because like, I, I can, I guess I can follow, you know, you, you had this passion for climate and you really wanted to understand how to mitigate some of the issues that are human caused. And then you were totally blown away by the idea that animals are maybe not a problem necessarily, but but could be a solution perhaps. So how did, how did you get, I, I get that, but then how did you get from there to like, okay, well, I guess I should learn how to turn them into food. <laughs> yeah, cut animals up. Um, yeah. yeah, so I, you know, I was vegetarian for a long time and I was really squeamish about that aspect of animal farming. I'm like, man, this is so cool. I'm on board with raising animals. It's, you make such an awesome connection with these and I've never raised animals. I didn't know what I was doing, but I just was like, man, this is so cool that I can do this. And then we send them off to the butcher and they come back in these plastic packages. And it's like, I never really grappled with, with the hard stuff, you know, right. the, the death, you know, and, and, and talking about, is it moral? Is it okay? You know? And so I think I just dove into it. I literally Googled, um, butchery apprenticeship. Wow. <laughs> and that was the first thing that came up. And so I was like, oh, wow, okay, maybe I'll go to Italy. So then I applied and, and it's not very, I don't think it's very hard to get in. You don't have to be qualified. I didn't know anything about butchery. But, um, but yeah, then we met over there and Ryan went to go raise pigs and I went to go butcher pigs. Wow. Um, salumi and all the dried cured meats and all that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Wow, amazing. Okay, so, so you went to Italy, learned some butchery, then you met Ryan. And then, then what happened? Um, so then uh, I came back to Colorado. Uh, Ryan's been working at this um, awesome wedding venue. It's called the Lions Farmette in Riverbend. He's been working there for a long time, and they treat him well. So he stayed here for another season. I actually went up to Aspen, well, the Salt, um, and I worked at um, Aspen Center for Environmental Studies and their ranch called Rock Bottom Ranch, and I was a livestock manager there. So, um, And that, I think, was the first time... Um, that I was handed the keys, you know, like here, here you go. Here's a trailer of cattle, like, you know, be creative in how you're going to move them around and how you're going to get them water. And, and they were super supportive, um, Jason and Alyssa that run the ranch. But I think it was the first time that I got to feel like a farm manager and without actually being an owner of a farm. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, so when you were at, in down in Basalt with ACES, um, (laughs) did you, 
what was it like to, I mean, you just sort of touched on this a little bit, like, what, what was it like to go from sort of someone who had been doing a lot of learning for a long time? I mean, you were in school and then you went to the, the, the place in Boulder, the, I think it was the Golden Hoof is what you said. And then, and then you went to be an apprentice, you know, so that's a lot of like, I'm getting experiences that are kind of teach me something that I'm trying to learn. And then you, someone said to you, okay, like your title is now manager. Like you have to go yeah. do some managing. Yeah. What, what, yeah. how did, what did you learn from, from that experience? I mean, what was that like for you? for you? Oh, well, I mean, I, you know, I had a lot of guidance with Jason and Melissa. I think they, they pretty much knew how to run the show, but I think I brought in a ton of uh, my experience from other farms of like, like maybe some, um, like veterinary type, you know, I had resources where I could call and, and learn about, you know, Hey, I have a sheep, a ewe that's just like laying in the field and not moving. What do I do? You know? Right. And so I think a lot, we, we all learned a ton of, I mean, every season you, are a farmer with animals you 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 get a crash course in veterinary science because something always goes wrong so um that was a huge experience like learning for me um and then also you know that ranch out there is wild i mean it's you're in the middle of a wild like you're they neighbor a wildlife corridor um right there on the rio grande trail and so you've got mountain lions you've got bears in your backyard every single night and if you don't <laughs> and if you don't have if you don't close the door and lock it with when there's food inside something it will get eaten by there and if you don't put the electric fence up right and it's not hot it will some you'll wake up at two o'clock in the morning and run around in your pjs getting the sheet back into the pen so it's um i learned i think the biggest thing that i learned was predator control and how we can coexist with um wildlife and not have to go to legal procedures just using electric fencing using um livestock guardian dog um, just being smart about putting food away and protecting all the feed and all the young chickens and um, that kind of stuff. So that was that was probably the biggest thing. So shout out to Jason and Alyssa. They <laughs> they prepared me a lot for living up here in Lyons because we have the same exact problems. That's awesome. Yeah, that's good to hear. That That's definitely something that even as a sort of a, a side observer of what they do over there, I've always been struck by how much effort it takes to, to coexist, but but seems yeah. totally worth it uh, totally. in the end. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so you had this trajectory from school to Boulder where you learned about farming, uh, livestock and, and then you went to become a, uh, apprentice butcher. And, and so throughout this whole transition, you've gone pretty much from vegetarian to creating meat for people to eat. Uh, yep. and so are you still a vegetarian? Oh, absolutely not. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, everybody's body's different. So I understand, I mean, there's, uh, I think it's like um, Nicolette Nyman. She's a huge advocate for regenerative agriculture and, and rotational grazing and all that. And she, I mean, she's vegetarian. She just doesn't like meat. So I don't have anything wrong with people that are vegetarian. Absolutely. I think it's just a, it's a life choice that you get to make. But I, but for me, I feel so much better when I eat meat that, you know, I raised and, or my friends raised. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a huge um, cooking Fan and a foodie and I love preparing meat and the, the process of learning it was quite difficult because I was used to just like you know frying up potatoes on the stove and now I'm like trying to um, cook steaks on a grill and trying to like roast chickens and it was a huge learning curve but man it's fun yeah. to meet and Cool. That's interesting to hear. So, and I, when we were talking a little earlier before this, uh, you mentioned that your partner Ryan was a 10 year long vegan. Is that, is that right? Is he still a vegan? No, uh, it was funny. Cause you know, he deserves more props than me. You know, he was 
really concerned about um, animal welfare and climate change and, and, you know, just the general, you know, the messed up food system. And I think I'll say it, we talk about it all the time, right? And I, that, you know, vegans and vegetarians and people like us, we're on the same page. I mean, we practically, we are fighting the same fight. We hate, you know, that animals are put in confinement and they're treated poorly and they go off to, you know, enlarge parts into um, controlled animal feeding operations and are, you know, living a pretty bad life and, and be, in getting fed food that they shouldn't be eating that's covered in pesticides and herbicides and, and the workers that are working are underpaid and that whole system, we also hate it. So the vegetarians and vegans, chances are we're the ones talking to them at the party and, and, and you know, having the most in common. So, um, but yeah, back to Ryan, he's, he was vegan for 10 years and I mean, uh, yeah, it was funny because I think the first day he was in Italy, um, I think the first piece of meat he ever ate was pig liver. Oh um, man. He <laughs> <laughs> had this thing called pegatelli and it's like a, it's like a, you know, piece of cooked liver wrapped up and, um, they were pressuring him pretty hard because they're like, all right, you're raising pigs. You got to do it. You know, this is a part of it. And so he started eating that and then, you know, transitioned into it. And now his, his world's kind of opened up. But we are we are very conscious about what meat we do eat. Sure. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting couple of transitions that you guys have had <laughs> undergone independently, yeah. but also together. Yeah, that's yeah. that's pretty cool. Um so, okay, so then the farm you guys are working now, the, the, the farmstead is over in Lyons. And yep. so, you know, I've, I've had spent a little time in that part of the state, but not very much. Um, can you just sort of give, give an idea of what it's like? What is Lyons like? I mean, what is the, what is the community like? How, how have you felt as a member of it, just being there? What's it like? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that um, on, on the, I guess, the bigger picture of the Front Range, um, which is just the eastern slope of Colorado includes, you know, Boulder and Denver and and Colorado Springs. The population's really booming here. Um, I think a lot of people are moving to Denver, finding that it's too expensive, and then moving outside of Denver. So the suburbs are pretty sprawling right now, and I think it's scaring a lot of the people that live here, um, which is kind of why I, I'm i very careful. I mean, I moved here, too. And so I, I think we, Ryan and I, he moved from Michigan to Lyons and um, like I said, I'm from Arizona. So I think we were both pretty careful about, you know, um, the impact that we had on this new community. And so Lyons itself is um, this adorable little gem on the very edge of the Rockies. So it's, you know, we've got these huge rivers. The St. Brain runs through it. Um, we've got a huge, like, kayaking and tubing and water kind of culture. And we have one of the best mountain bike trails in Boulder County in my backyard uh, and so we have tons of mountain bikers tons of tubers people just um wanting to get outside and hike and play and enjoy the beautiful i mean it is absolutely gorgeous here so and the the people that live here you know i work in town at a, a local distillery called spirit home and um i pretty much get i serve the whole town pretty much you see a lot of people a lot of locals in there and everybody is incredibly sweet and kind and they care about where they live and they want it to stay as a as a natural you know beautiful wild place and a lot of people live rurally here and so it's just not a bustling city like it is like even boulder is it's got a pretty small downtown pretty cute little shops and and really everyone really values um the lifestyle of 
keeping it strong. So yeah, I, okay. I, I really do. I I love it here. It's just you can walk to downtown with your dog and have a beer and Oscar Blues and and um, enjoy just being here in Colorado. I think a lot of people just savor it. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, that that's that's a pretty vivid picture there. I I definitely can feel what you're what you're putting mm-hmm. down there. It it sounds like a really cool small community and really sort of I mean maybe not as much as places like Estes Park, but really sort of seems like a gateway to the Rockies and sort of is yeah. is a little bit in between sort of the more the 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 plains and the in the mountains in some way, which is an yeah. interesting place to be. Yeah, absolutely. We get you know we get a ton of tourists coming through here. I I've had you know serving whiskey to people. I'm just like. Every time I ask where people are from, it's, uh, I mean, all over the world, people come through lines and go up to the Rocky Mountain National Park. So it's, it's cool. It's like, you know, a lot of us survive on the, on the tourist economy. Um, but it's, um, but in the winter, everybody kind of hunkers down and, um, it gets pretty cozy here. Yeah. Cool. So, so earlier you were saying when you first started talking about lines, you were saying, you know, we were really kind of careful to ease our transition into this place just because of how small it is. And I, that seems like a really, um, yeah, forward thinking approach, but I'm curious now that you've been there for a little bit and, and, you know, you've had, you've had some years there prior, um, or at least Ryan has, how has, how has your reception been? I mean, what is the community like, you know, there's like, there's these kids who are moving into this old, this property that's been there for who knows how long. And now they're, there's a bunch of animals on it. Like, what are people saying? Are they excited? Are they supportive? How, how has it been? Yeah. You know, it, yeah. So the house that we live in is on the property that we, um, caretake. So, and this house has been, I don't think anybody's lived in here for several years. Um, it was kind of run down when we got in here and our landlord was awesome to fix it up for us. And, um, and you know, the land hasn't, it's been, um, horses have been put on it for several years, but, and it's been used for hay, but it has never been, you know, it, in recent years, I don't think there's been any small scale agriculture going on here. And so, um, you know, we moved in, we were kind of nervous, like, you know, we're some, kind of lunatics that are moving fences every single day so what, what happens when our style of ag- with our style of agriculture we essentially we're, we're moving our animals very frequently and so um when the sheep and um, when really any animal when they eat grass and they you know or with pigs when they root up the soil um you want to get them out of there pretty soon and let the the let the soil recover and absorb all of those nutrients from from um, you know their waste and and get them out of there. And it also improves that they don't, they're not kind of, you know, nosing around in their own um, feces and all that. So it's, it prevents a lot of parasite infections and it um, just makes for a happier animal. They're always going to new pastures. So we move, I move our sheep every single day. I take out down a ton of electric fencing, I put it all back up right next to it. And it just, they, they move on down the pasture. And so same thing with the pigs and the chickens. And we got a lot of weird responses because we're like, People are like, man, you're working too hard. Just put the sheep out there, you know, just let them do their thing. <laughs> and, and, you know, and it's just, there's a lot more to the story. So it's nice to get people on the farm and explain to them what we're doing. Um, but yeah, like I had a neighbor come over the other day and he was stoked. He was just so excited that somebody is doing something. And then this is, you know, we're like kind of breathing life into this property. We built this huge garden and um, that's just teeming with vegetables and, and it's, it's um it's cool it's a kind of a cool corridor here where we've got um neighbors that are not too close but but they're pretty close and um everybody that comes by has been super supportive and nice and they're like go you do it you guys are doing you're working your butts off and and we appreciate you having having you here so 
it's been a pretty awesome response to mine so far. That's great. And so do you, are you at the point now, and this is, I know it's only been six months, so I can totally understand if this is still yep. sort of in the future, but um, are you at the point now where you're sort of, you're trying to find customers in your local community or you're hoping to sell some of your, your agricultural products to them? Like how have, have you found those people? Are they, are they buying yet? Like how has that gone so far? Oh yeah. So um, we've actually already started selling. We So our chickens we raise for meat and those we process by hand on the farm and we do six batches of 100 chickens each. And so we started that in June, did 100 chickens and every three weeks we've done 100 chickens. And so, um, and we got to move them pretty fast because we don't have a lot of freezer space. So if you don't, <laughs> if you don't move them, then you're not going to have a place to put the next one. So right. you kind of sell them quick. Um, so yeah, like everybody, I mean, we had our, we had an open farm day when we first got here and to just sell a bunch of chickens and, you know, get, just meet people. And, um, we had like maybe 15 people here, you know, 15 minutes before we even started that were just stoked about, you know, seeing what we're doing. Wow. And, um, and yeah, like, you know, we're getting there, we're selling a decent amount of chickens. Um, it's just a matter of teaching people how to not be intimidated by a whole chicken. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like, it's so it's crazy because the farmer kind of has to be an educator, we have to be a producer, and then we have to be like a cook. You know, we have to tell people, we have to know how to prepare this thing so that people can go home and do it themselves. So um, so that's a huge kind of um, learning curve that I'm going through. We sold quite a bit of chicken, so, and it's it's been pretty positive. And actually, um, you know, having another job in town, Ryan at the wedding venue and me at the distillery, we've sold a lot of food through that because people are just, you know, just chatting and they're like oh you guys who's chicken i would love that so that's kind of been uh the word of mouth has been super helpful um and then yeah we're selling pork and lamb by the half and fall this year and then thanksgiving turkeys and um yeah it's it's going pretty well people are pretty excited about like when you see a little pig on the side of the road in the in the woods and then you see our sign i think people are pretty excited about um like man that could be my food one day you know that's cool yeah, that's that is. I mean, you know that that level of connection to some food, I think, especially in a small community like that, is has some sort of appeal to the people who are yeah. who are buying it. Definitely, that's cool. And so, I want to hear then about, you know, you you mentioned the like the multifaceted role of a farmer, which is totally true. I mean, you know, probably I don't. I'm not sure whether a like large scale farmer would say such a similar thing about you know the the role of, of a farmer necessarily. And I mean, maybe they would, but it, it seems to me that someone who's operating a, you know, sort of start to finish both vegetables and livestock in a small community and selling to their neighbors, that sort of thing. I mean, it seems like your role is almost more difficult because, or at least more engaging because, you know, if you worked for a place that just had a contract just to make so many chickens a, a year, yep. then, you know, maybe you don't think so much about like, how am I going to sell to my next door neighbor? Or, like, do they know yep. how to roast a chicken? So I'm curious, like, how, what is your, what's your thought about that in terms of the future? Like, are you right now you're, you know, you're focused on the actual, the property, the raising of the animals, raising of the vegetables, but what do you look forward to in the future with, with that in mind in terms of engaging your community with the stuff you're making? Yeah. I mean, I think after selling meat for several years, every farm I've been on, I've um, had to talk to customers about meat and you know, it's, you do the best you can when you when you talk to somebody about why it costs more and why you it's it's diff- more difficult to get why we can't get into a whole foods you know why we can't just go to a restaurant and sell to a restaurant you know 
And, um, you know, it's when I have the time to sit down and talk to somebody, we always have a great conversation and everyone's like, wow, that is crazy. I had no idea that pigs were kept in small crates <laughs> and like my bacon that I usually buy at the grocery store, even though it says, you know, pasture raised or vegetarian fed or whatever, you know, is, is really just the same big corporations just slapping a different label on it. And that it's getting so complicated now with, um, with labeling and, People ask me all the time, what, what eggs do I buy? Because I don't even, like, there's cage-free, there's free-range, there's cruelty-free, there's vegetarian, and, you know, and I'm like, just buy from a local farmer. That's it. the only reason I, like, one of the biggest reasons I farm is because I don't know what to buy. It's just so dang confusing. Right. So, you know, when I talk to people about the greater, um, the greater problems with the meat industry and how um, animals are mismanaged on a large scale. I I have a really great conversation, but it's hard to do that with every single person that comes in. Mm-hmm. And so kind of, um, you know, we've attracted the right people. And so sometimes they just gravitate towards you, you know, depending on your marketing and everything. So we really value the customers that are, that are already on board. They're like, yep, I totally get what you guys are doing. Whatever you got, whatever I got to pay, I'm down to pay it because I love having you here. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I think talking about it nowadays um, is just another bullet point on the job description of a small farmer. Every, you know, you have to do it because or else people don't, under, they look at your prices and they say, well, what makes you so special? And then they walk away. And but when you engage them and you talk to them about um, all these uh, super exciting, I mean, can you imagine like not having to worry about climate change anymore right. and then feed our population healthy food? And that's pretty, pretty remarkable. So I, I try to engage people in that conversation, but it is hard. And after a while, you're just like, Ooh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Where do I start? <laughs> so. Right. Totally. I mean, you know, what's interesting to me about that is that, you know, you're engaging with so many different scales of a conversation at, at the same yep. time. You know, I mean, you're, you're talking about what a family is going to eat for dinner. And then you're talking about like what a community gets for its food. And then you're talking about the impact of how all of those things come together to, to talk about how people across the world are like able to feed their families and, you know, live healthy lives. So, I mean, it, it's a, it's feels, if you think about it that way, honestly, it's kind of overwhelming because you're like, well, you know, I don't really know where to start here. If I'm trying to bite off any of it, the whole rest of it comes with it, you know? So. Exactly. And I think it's, you know, sometimes you have to choose your battles, you know, when you hear, um, you know, I, at sitting at the bar, we have a ton of, I mean, all, all shapes and sizes come in there and I get to talking about the farm sometimes and sometimes people drop something like, oh, you know, they, they can't even predict the weather, let alone climate change. Like it's all a hoax, you know, and then I'll kind of be sitting there, I'll kind of step back and at least they can get on board with local, right. you know, maybe yeah. that's where we start with that person. Maybe we don't talk about climate change. Maybe we start about um, the local economy and putting jobs back into lions and, and keeping our dollars here. So cool. If that's what makes you buy my product and you don't care about the rest, totally fine. I'm going to help solve climate change and spread the word and get you some good food. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's really all about tailoring the, the message to the audience. That's, yep. that's really true <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for sure. Um, okay, cool. So, so when you look, uh, you know, when you look forward into the next, you know, six months, year, five, 30, whatever, how many years you want to look like, where do you guys see, you know, are you going to expand or are you going to go somewhere else or, you know, how do you have any idea what the future holds for what you guys are working on right now? Yeah. I mean, it's, 
I, I think every farm I've worked on, they have plans and then they actually, when the time comes, when a year does pass, they have equally big plans to change things, but it's not anything like what they thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have a plan, but with farming, it's just really, it, it is so dynamic and you just got to, you know, just deal with whatever you got to deal with at the moment. So, you know, I, I envision us, um, we've got like this bottom pasture that is 10 more acres, I think. And it's a beautiful irrigated pasture and it's been hayed for probably a century. Um, which means it's been, it's just been cut for hay, mm-hmm. which what happens when you cut for hay, we, we have a huge horse community in Colorado. And so, um, a lot, you know, you can, you can actually probably make more money on, on cutting and selling hay to horse owners rather than um, running cattle or sheep on it. And so that's what they've done for a long time. And what happens when you cut hay is that you, you snip it really low so that you can get all of the grass you can. And then when you let it, you know, when you take all of that grass, you rake it up, put it in the bales, take it out and sell it to somebody else. What you're doing is you're taking the, the resources from your farm, which is your soil, and you're taking those nutrients from the soil that are deposited in the plants and you're selling them and you're just exporting them. And can you imagine exporting nutrients from your soil to somebody else's property for a hundred years? Mm. What that soil might look like and how much biology is in that soil. So I think um, although it is you know, beautiful, you know, tall grasses, there's really not a lot of diversity down there. And um, I think it needs animals. It needs disturbance. It needs, we need to push large amounts of animals in and out of there. And, um, and put that bacteria from all of that manure, put it back into the soil and encourage different types of crops to grow it and, uh, and diversify that grass down there. And, you know, lions had a flood, um, a really devastating flood in 2013. Um, and you can look up photos online. It was absolutely insane. It just didn't stop raining. And the river right next to our property flooded. Um, tons of people lost their homes. Tons, you know, people died. And, mm is absolutely catastrophic and you can see the the vegetation on that bottom pasture is completely different um trees fell down tons of sand came in and just deposited on the top of the pasture mm. um, so it, it just completely changed the soil there used to be you know humongous stands and cottonwood trees that just just tipped over and fell over so um i think you know our landlord's pretty um pretty dead set on trying to revegetate it and that makes me excited too so i i could see us staying here and really working on um, replanting vegetation, trying to make this more into a silver pasture, which means like a, a normal pasture that's integrated with trees mm. and getting more. Because, you know, you look, we, we don't have irrigation on our pasture right now. If you look wherever there's a tree, the grass under it is doing amazing. <laughs> and, and we and the animals love it. They, they sniff, you know, they kind of um, graze on the lower branches mm-hmm. and they kind of you know, prune the tree for us. And then they love the shade. And so after noticing that this season, we're pretty convinced. Um, we're pretty stoked on planting a ton of trees here and then maybe getting more sheep and um, doing a little bit more of um, an impact because that's the need an animal impact um, to kind of regenerate. So, so yeah, I can see us, um, you know, on a few run on a land here. Um, like I said, Colorado is a pretty big horse country. So, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of um, properties that were horse ranches and people don't, you know, it's too much work now. So I can see us, you know, loading up sheep in a trailer, um, bringing them down the road 10 minutes, setting up a fence and then grazing someone else's backyard, you know, and then doing what's called custom grazing. So you're like, oh, you know, you guys have this, you know, yard that 
you don't really like to mow and you don't want to mow it, I'll put some sheep on it and we'll put some fertility back into it and then I'll feed my animals. So that's kind of a cool idea that's in the back of my mind too. Totally. Cool. Wow. So it definitely seems like you're thinking about it, which is, or thinking about, you know, how to use the place that you have access to now and really make it into something that is even greater than what it already is, which is really cool. That's really interesting. Yeah. I, I drive by my neighbor's houses and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. We should, we should try to talk to that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, cool. Well, yet another way to, to engage with the Lions community. You know, it's all, it all comes yeah. full circle there. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. Well, Taylor, it was so nice to hear about your and Ryan's uh, story and path and vision for the future. And I really want to wish you guys luck. And thank you for spending time talking to us today. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm I'm excited about what you guys are doing. So thanks for highlighting um, some pretty cool people. We're really inspired by Taylor's vision of local agriculture as part of the solution to the global climate crisis. As she mentions, getting to know your local farmers and your food can be a great first step to making a difference in your health and the health of our planet. To learn more about Taylor and Ryan's farm, head to longtablefarmstead.com or find them on Instagram at longtablefarmstead. Thanks for listening.